Hi, I'm Reverend Carol Saunders, host of The Spiritual Forum. I'm here with a lot of interesting people who gather each week to be an inquiry and dialogue on living the spiritual life. We're all on the spiritual path, growing in our understanding of ourselves and others, and moving from being complainers to being empowered to simply being. We know that we can't change the world unless we change ourselves. Welcome to the forum. Welcome everyone to the Spiritual Forum. So glad you're here. I want to remind everybody that this podcast is a platform for the spiritual journeyer. And wherever you are in your spiritual journey, I know you'll get something from every guest that we have on. And I try to cover the gamut of topics. I also want to remind you that you may want to subscribe to the Spiritual Forum newsletter. And you can do that by going to the spiritualforum.org and on the homepage, just click newsletter. I want to say that we've been having a few problems <laughs> with that subscription button. Um, and if you want to subscribe to the newsletter and you're not getting it, email me directly, revcarolsaunders at gmail.com and let me know. We're having a little problems with the MailChimp interface. And also, just a reminder, um, it'd be great if you love this podcast that you can get on the iTunes uh, iTunes app or the Apple podcast app and uh, put a rating and review. I always forget to ask people to do that. I always forget I always forget to plug my own stuff. It's just something it's not my thing. So I've got to look at why that is and I'm I'm just asking for you to do that. If you love this podcast to give a five star rating because it helps boost us up and get us seen by more. Now today I am with Reverend Sarah Bowen and Reverend Sarah is an ordained minister. She's an animal chaplain and faculty member at One Spirit Interfaith Seminary. Rev. Sarah is co-host of Unity Online Radio's Big Universe show, columnist for Spirituality and Health magazine, and author of a newly released book, which I've read, called Sacred Send-Offs, An Animal Chaplain's Advice for Surviving Animal Loss, Making Life Meaningful, and Trying to Heal the Planet which is just a small task. <laughs> <laughs> just a few things. Just a few things. We're going to throw this all into one book. Especially interested in the intersection of spiritual values with animal and planetary welfare, Sarah teacher, teaches interspecies mindfulness practices, works with humans grieving the loss of companion animals, loves up animals in shelters, and provides the wildlife who are struck by cars a sacred send-off. She's a co-founding member of Compassion Consortium, uh, which we'll talk about a little bit later. And I just want to mention as an aside that the Compassion Consortium is a co-host along with the Spiritual Forum of this year's Whole Spirituality Forum and Retreat at Unity Village this October. And it's called The Road to Eden. And if you want to learn more about that, just go to thespiritualforum.org slash retreat. Okay, welcome, Sarah. Thank you, Carol. Delighted to be here with you. Yeah, and I think that I just want to I just want to uh, divulge to everybody who's listening that you and I do know each other, so we may have a little more casual <laughs> repartee. What is it? What is it called? Back and forth, whatever that's called. We have a little repartee. fun, right? Yeah, we'll have a little fun. Yeah, you absolutely. can tell the people I already know. There's a lot of more fun, I think. So, um, anyway, I thought that we would. Uh, talk about, let you talk about your story. 
and also get into your your book, which I just think really, really scratches a lot of itches on this planet. It's it's something. It's not just a typical animal book. I I think there's so much in here for anybody who's interested in personal healing. It's I think it's essential for personal healing, actually. Um, and we'll get into that. And then I also wanted to give you an opportunity to talk about Compassion Consortium, because I think a lot of people would be interested in that and may not know what it is and, and how they can, can get involved in that. Um, so first, what do you want to share of your story? <laughs> well, I should start by saying, you know, I've always been a troublemaker. Uh, you know, that's really, I was this kind of rebellious little kid who had a preacher father uh, who encouraged me to be really curious. And I had a teacher mother who also encouraged me to be very curious and, you know, <laughs> karma, I suppose they got a rebellious teenager out of that. But, you know, my journey with, with spirituality and with religion and with, you know, how humans treat other species, it's always going to be kind of wrapped up. And these questions I had as a little girl who was growing up really curious about this God loves all creatures thing that I was being told in, in Sunday school. And then these other things I was seeing that just didn't make sense to, you know, how humans were treating animals, how humans were treating humans. You know, there, there was always this kind of, I didn't know the word cognitive dissonance at the time, <laughs> um, you know, not, not at six years old, but I just had a lot of questions about why, why is the world the way it is? So, you know, that kind of colors everything that I did. And, you know, I, I, I followed various paths. And, you know, when people ask me now, you know, what, what are you? You know, what, what religion are you? And it's so hard to answer. It's, you know, I'm a, I'm a Jewish Christian Vedantic Buddhist who studied Wiccan wants to be a Jedi when she grows up, you know, like that's one <laughs> version of it. And, you know, broadly we call that interfaith or interspiritual, but this idea that we have all these beautiful different traditions and different religions that, that have wonderful stuff in them and have some troubling stuff in them. And we can look to those to help us with our answers. So I guess that's kind of the context of which I come into this conversation with Carol. Yeah. Uh, I, and I, I loved your story in the book, too. I particularly love you're talking about how your grandfather's farm and and how it, it was so um, such a wonderful growing up experience with all the animals and talk about not you know, the cognitive dissonance or not having the awareness. It's not really being aware that the same animals weren't there every year. I had, you know, I had no idea. You know, my, my father grew up on this farm uh, in the, you know, in the what, 40s, 50s, 60s, before he went away to divinity school. And, you know, we would visit when I was a kid. And, and I like to say, you know, I thought farms had cows, like my house had cats. You know, uh -huh. I just, I just didn't, I just didn't really understand what was happening. And it took until I was well into my 20s, before I started kind of sorting out like, wait, those cows aren't there all the time and the cows have changed. And what is grandpa doing with those cows? Like there were just so many questions and, you know, it's, I'm still unpacking that. I think we all, all are unpacking this training we get as children. You know, I, I was known for, um, well, I was a little bit of a, a, a tomboy rather than a girly girl. And so, you know, I was always climbing trees and, you know, 
collecting frogs and, you know, making habitats for the hamsters out of grass clippings. And I was very, very concerned about these other critters. Although, oh, I have so many cats I need to apologize to for putting in clothing, in dolls clothing, <laughs> right? Try, trying to dress them up. But I was also very concerned about animals when they died. You know, I had the experience very young of, of hamsters who passed away or cats who didn't come home. Uh, I also had the experience of, you know, walking home from school with my little metal lunchbox and coming across a little flattened chipmunk or squirrel and really being torn up and, you know, kind of using a little stick and pushing them into my lunchbox mm -hmm. and taking them home and giving them a burial because that's what dad did with human bodies. You know, he, he gave them burials. And so I did that with, with little critter bodies. And, you know, so I think this call to being an animal chaplain, it took me a long time to get there. I chased some other things that weren't quite so healthy or spiritual for a while. Um, but, you know, it's always, it's always been there, this kind of reverence and concern and not only for animals when they're alive, but, you know, what do we do when they die? Yeah, I think... <laughs> So I'll divulge a little bit. I, I, I was the first time I went to a therapist. Uh, I remember, I remember telling her, you know, I, I didn't grow up in a war zone, you know, like I didn't, I didn't have trauma like so many people I know had trauma of physical abuse or sexual abuse, or war trauma or whatever. But I had described my experience with a lot of animal death, a lot of it when I was little. I mean, a lot of it. I saw it, you know, a cat was poisoned, a cat was hit by a car, a German shepherd dog was taken away from us and taken to the quote farm. And I can go through so many of those. And I remember just kind of hanging my head talking to this therapist and like, you know, I don't have the problems that so many other people have. I, I, I felt like I felt like these things that had happened to me I had to minimalize it because it wasn't human. Right. And and so I never really looked at it as trauma. It was something that we just moved through. But oh my gosh, I have so much of it. I I have so much of it. And and I think that what your work does, your book, your work, uh it 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 raises the importance of that. This my therapist said to me, she said, You have been through a war zone. <laughs> you know, she was the first person to really validate it outside of family members that it, it's equivalent to a war zone, all of the loss that you've experienced. It's just your animals. It's not just it, it happened to your animals. And I was a child and I felt every single loss, but but the whole grief process wasn't really held, really, you know, it was it was something that, you know, we said goodbye to Duke. He's going after the farm. And now we move on, go to the grocery store. Yeah, I think there's a couple of reasons that happens, too. I think that parents were not very well educated, first off, to talk to us about loss and grief. And there was this idea of what, what was too big for children to process. So you just didn't talk about it. And you just brought closure. And, and there you go. Um, you know, I remember sitting on the steps with my mother and my little sister at one point when Fluffy didn't come home, the white cat and mom saying, you know, Fluffy ate rat poison and she's not coming home. And, and I had a lot of questions about that, <laughs> you know, like, 
first of all, why is there rat poison? You know, I was that kid, right? right why is there right. rat poison? But, you know, had a lot of these questions and they just, they weren't answered. And some of the research we find now, like pet loss, right, is, is very widely researched now since about the late 1980s. But what we find is that 29% of people don't have any idea what happened to a childhood pet. 29%, like an animal just left and they have no idea what happened to it. Mm-hmm. So you, on the flip side, we find that if we involve children or our friends and family, you know, older folks to older children, <laughs> we're all older children, I suppose, in some <laughs> way. But if we involve them in the, you know, seeing an animal's body, touching an animal's body, saying goodbye to an animal's body, or if you don't have the body, right, you know, working with cremains or doing a funeral or a ceremony or being able to talk and being able to cry or be angry or say, this really stinks. I don't like this. You know, being able to fully at whatever age we are being able to fully verbalize that this is a valid loss. We loved someone. We loved a furry someone or a feathered or a finned someone, and they're no longer here. And that that grief doesn't have a species barrier that says, oh, okay, this type of mammal is okay to grieve. And this type of mammal is not, you know, it, it doesn't, it doesn't know that. So I am glad we have a lot of research now um, from a number of different, you know, multidisciplinary research that tells us, yeah, it is valid. And people have a hard time. There's one report says 93% of people who experience pet loss have a disruption in their lives. 93%. Have a disruption meaning what? Meaning that they lose sleep, they lose appetite, they can't function. They have some sort of way of not being able to function in the same way they could when the animal was alive. So it's almost universal, 93%. Uh, And then that 50% of folks have uh, decreased their social activities, they isolate. And 45% of the folks in in this survey that was done had job-related things. So this isn't just about, you know, this isn't a personal thing. This is how do we take care of people that we work with when they lose animals? You know, how, how do we do, we don't have bereavement policies at most businesses that say, you know, your dog's gone, you get a day off. Right. Maybe, right. maybe we should. Right. Uh, but, you know, how do we, if we're going to take care of people holistically, if we're going to take care of them in their whole lives, we need to take care of this kind of loss too. There's my manifesto. <laughs> yeah, well, and I think that the the any kind of trauma ends up, especially if you're a child, it, it ends up being kind of buried somewhere in your your body. Yeah. And yep. so this is really a very very important topic, a very important. Uh, um, we, we have to revisit these, or we have to we have to go find. I don't I don't know. For me, for me, it's like we have to find our child. And and love her or him, if if she, if if the child didn't get a chance to really appropriately um, grieve, to allow the inner child within us to go through that grief process, and that's part of our spiritual path. It's part of our healing. It is, and I think we want it. It's really interesting. I I had a, my niece who's in her early twenties. I had commandeered a few of her buddies to help me with some social media for the book. So we were going out and taking photos and they were doing the wonderful thing that they do better than I do because I needed some help. And one of the things we were doing, we're taking some photographs. I I put out with the book, a a ritual loss kit 
write a, a kit for people with different activities they can do to process process grief. And as we were taking photographs, she says, wait, you know, I, I was showing her the different pieces and she said, wait, can I, can I do it for real? And I said, sure. And all of a sudden she was doing a, you know, a ritual for the dog that died while she was in college. And then one of the other young men who's in his mid twenties says, can I do it too? And I said, sure. And then he gave this beautiful, you know, wrote this little letter to dogs who had passed after he went away to college. And I realized there was this whole other area of young adults who've gone away to do their, you know, to do their thing, to launch out into the world. And then their childhood, you know, animals, members of the family pass. And it was this whole different area of people, but we feel called to honor it. And, you know, we, we feel this kind of need to work with something that's stuck in us. So, you know, I don't think it's just, I think, Carol, what you're pointing to and, and what I'm hoping to point to in the book, too, is it's not just about, did you lose somebody yesterday or last week? Mm-hmm. We need to go back and unearth and do a little um, spiritual archaeology, I mm-hmm. suppose, here and see, you know, what's still stuck in there? And is it affecting the way that I deal with loss in my life, too? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. My ability to be with feelings, any of that. Yeah. 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 My tendency to stuff. Might yeah. it go way back to a little hamster? You know, who knows? Who yeah. knows? Right, right. Well, and also though, in your book, I I love that you. Gosh, you just cover so much. Let, let's talk a little bit about the sacred send off, and I want to talk about. I want to talk about the um, the 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 free living wild beings. I want to talk about the um, not quite wildlife. And I want to talk about your ministry where you provide sacred send-offs for the animals that are um, victims of car, truck accidents or whatever. I, I live in the country, and where I live, I live off of a, a county road, and the speed limit's 50, but that, does, that doesn't mean people go 50. And we're quite a ways off the road, but I mean, I see... Possums, raccoons, deer, rabbits, skunks, I mean, birds. Uh, every week there's somebody new yeah. off, off the side of the road. And it, it's traumatic. <laughs> um, so let's talk about your ministry there. I think it's so beautiful. Yeah, you know, I think it started again with those little chipmunks in the lunchbox, you know, and as I got older, I still just had this concern for I've lived in these areas that are kind of country ish, you know, outside of suburbs or outside of cities and on country roads. And, and it's just always broken my heart. And a certain point, I just started stopping and getting out of my car and moving them off the road. And when I was in seminary, I had, that's a whole nother story, but I had found myself in seminary, you know, doing some uh, research for a book I was writing on my dad's work. And at the end, they said, you know, what what are you going to do with this? You know, are you going to go be a preacher? What are you going to do? And I was like, no, I'm going to have a roadkill ministry. And there were a couple other students who were like, oh, there goes Sarah again. (laughs) Um, But the woman who was my mentor in that program said, great, you know, what do you need? And I said, well, I want to do this officially. You know, I, I want to be able to, you know, call this what it is and I want to do it. And so, <laughs> you know, thank, thank God for Amazon as much as I detest Amazon. Uh, I love Amazon because <laughs> I can find anything I need. And, you know, I got some of those uh, orange, you know, lights that spin mm-hmm. like on construction vehicles that are magnetic. 
Mm-hmm. And I got those in my car and I got some of those triangles you put out so that other people don't hit you. And I got a bright yellow visibility vest and a bunch of shovels and some gloves. And I got some signs that went on the side of my Jeep. It said Sarah B's roadkill ministry. And I was off. Like uh, that was, that. that's my thing. Uh, I do a lot of other things too. Right. But this is the thing that I is between me and God and the animals. It, it's it's a personal spiritual practice. It sounds like a weird spiritual practice, but you know, as I'm driving, if I see a little buddy on the side of the road, and this happens, you know, it is hard for me to drive anywhere out here sometimes, right. you know, yeah. because you know, I got I got to stop every couple of miles, um, and it, when it's safe, right? When it's safe, and you know, and I pull over and I get him off the side and I give him a little blessing and I say, I am so sorry about us humans. I'm so sorry that we have put roads through your lands. I am so sorry that we drive way over the speed limit, not attentive, texting on our phones that we, you know, we're not aware you're on the road, that we think the roads are ours. You know, we don't realize we share the roads that you commute on these roads too. I'm so, Mm. so sorry. And I hope you have a most auspicious next lifetime. And then I usually cover their wound or, or maybe their face with some leaves. I used to do it with wildflowers, but then I had this thought where I said, why am I killing wildflowers? <laughs> so I let the wildflowers go and I just pick up some leaves and I, I put it over their face and then, you know, I, I take off and, you know, I don't know, you know, our religious traditions tell us all sorts of things about death and what happens. And my Buddhist friends will tell me, you know, for seven days after an animal dies, you can speak to them in the bardo. Uh, some of my Christian friends tell me, you know, that they might be in heaven. Uh, some of my Vedantic friends say, you know, they might be reincarnated or they might be part of the all awareness or maybe any of these things. My animal communication friends say, yeah, we can talk to them anytime we want to. And they can right. talk back, you know, so there's all these different ways of, you know, that we, these different views that we have. And I think they're all possible. Uh, you know, I, I, I don't, I don't say one is, one is true and all the others are false and, I hope that just to wrap it up, I hope that those animals somehow um, feel as if there was a moment of caring there after there was a moment of trauma. Yeah. That's what I'm hoping on some sort of level, you know, when you're hit by a car that cannot feel good. Right. uh, Especially if you don't die immediately. And so, you know, I hope that that's a moment of caring and I hope that that gives them some comfort. If not, it at least keeps other birds from getting hit because they're munching on <laughs> somebody as part of the, you know, the, the wildlife buffet that happens right. after you get hit by a car. Um, you know, so I'm helping them out or other drivers who might swerve not to hit an animal. So I think it has another different levels. And, you know, and once I started talking about it, I, Carol, I found a couple other people doing it too. So, yeah, you know, I think this is I a big think... thing to start. So you just pull them off. I was thinking that you had an animal burial ground somewhere. Um, I mean, last well, year, I sort of do. Okay. <laughs> our backyard, our backyard has a little area where I also um, pull folks over, you know, in the book, uh, I take a whole chapter to talk about how we deal with wildlife, how we deal with their bodies. And it's fascinating. What happens if an animal dies in a, in a, uh, in a national park? What happens if a whale gets beast, uh, beached on the ocean? I'm very curious about if, if I could, I would have a massive burial ground. But on the other hand, you know, there's a cycle of life 
as well that continues and some deaths feed other life. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, I, and I don't have enough to afford a, uh, the crematory items I might need. And those have environmental issues too, sure. Cre- cremation, yeah. Yeah. you know, so it's a, it's a big kind of, I have a lot of questions and I've done a lot of research to try to figure out, you know, what, what do we do? So that's all in the book too. Well, I love just having the awareness to uh, impart to the the critter that, you know, we love you, you know, that we're sorry. I mean, I think just taking a moment to to say those things, to say them out loud or in your mind or whatever, I, I think that it's such a beautiful ritual because, again, the way we just pass them on the road... It's kind of the same way we deal with, you know, your hamster's gone, let's go get another one. It's just another, we don't, we don't acknowledge it. We don't really, it, it's, it's either so prevalent or we don't want to think about it or we avert our eyes. And so much about awakening spiritually is not averting your eyes, you know, looking and seeing what is real, what is here. There's a hurt animal. We did it. I may not have done it, but I have before. Um, and I, you know, um, I think we all have in some ways, um, and it's really just important to to give to be present to that. You know, you yeah. Know, I there's a there's a practical way to do it too for folks who don't want to get the orange lights and the yellow vest yeah. and pull over. Um, when I first met the man who's now my husband, we we were driving one day, and we passed a, a little piece of, of road killed being, and my husband slapped his hand across his chest. And I was like, is he okay? Like what just happened there? And, and I said, what's going on, Sean? And he said, oh, well, I was just giving a blessing for the life of that being on the side of the road. And I was like, what? Oh my God, soulmate. Like this, uh, this, this was a moment it. where I thought, wow. You know, so, so if you drive with us, you know, I picked up the practice too um, for a while. And uh, if it's, you know, an animal I can't get to or, or some other reason and to teach other people this practice. But when you when you pass it to just take your hand and put it over your heart for a minute and say, you know, I hope you have a most auspicious next lifetime. I'm I so love sorry. that. That's a beautiful blessing. And just to be able to do that. And so if you drive with us, you know, there's all this like kind of heart smacking going on. And I remember uh-huh. one day I, I did it. And then my husband said, Sarah, that was a tire. <laughs> 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 May you have and an I, auspicious next life tire. Right. And and I and I got a little bit snarky with him and I said, okay, Sean. Well, I was doing it for planet Earth because she's covered with trash. So I was just giving planet <laughs> Earth a blessing. You know, I was a little snarky about it. But I do think it's a practice that we can pick up that, you know, you're talking about just to to stand witness, to be aware, to kind of titrate ourselves into seeing it. And not just turning away from it. And I think it also makes us better drivers and slower drivers and more mindful drivers because we're owning it. We're kind of owning the collective damage a little better. That's my hope at least. So I invite all listeners to start smacking your heart and giving little blessings when you see roadkill. Yes. Yeah. I want to go into that bearing witness, but I just want to tell a quick story to you, uh, something that happened that I did last year. And it was just so instinctual. I didn't think about it at all, but I was driving around that, along that country road that I was telling you about, and, and a truck in front of me ran over a rabbit. Mm. And I was right behind him. 
and the little rabbit was, you know, kind of squirming in the road. And I pulled off the side of the road and I went out to the middle of the road and I picked that rabbit up and I put him on my lap and I drove home with him. And I had my hand on him and he died by the time I got home. But it was such a sweet, I feel so good about that. I, I'm sure that people out there said they could have gotten, gotten bit or it was dangerous or whatever, but I just had my hand on her and just said exactly what you're saying. I didn't do the auspicious life part, but, you know, I'm so sorry and I love you. And I just feel like she had a nice last few breaths. Um, maybe she was completely crazy because a human's holding her, but that's what I did. And it was just all instinctive. And um, I don't know. Beautiful, Carol. I, I was going to say, beautiful. did I do that wrong? <laughs> no, I think that's beautiful. I think, yeah. okay, so, and I go into this a little in the book too. When you start getting into this, I guess that's a weird thing to say, but when you, you know, when your awareness comes up and you want to learn a little more, there's, you know, there's things you can do, first of all, which is, you know, do understand um, that, you know, there are practical considerations for germs and, and other things and being bit by an, by an animal who's been hurt. And so learn a little bit about that and put some big, heavy ski gloves and a bag in your car, right? And some other things, you know, if, if you feel like you're coming, you know, you're coming towards us. But the other thing is to get the phone number of a couple different wildlife rehabilitators near you. Yeah. And put those on a post-it note and put yeah. them in your car or put them in your cell phone. And if you see an animal hurt and hit, you could also pull your car over, you know, so that so that the animal's in the road and call one of these numbers. They, you know, there's a lot of them, you know, just look up wildlife rehab near me. And often you'll find someone who will who will come out and you just need to wait and make sure no one else, you know, hits hits the being. And that can be another way to do this. So I think it's finding your finding your your level of safety and comfort. And and some people end up, you know, coming, becoming part of crews that do this for a living, you know, taking mm. animals off the road for a highway department mm. or things like that too. So I think it's, you know, the spiritual path is very much seeing what our heart opens to and, you know, being able to answer that call of, you know, I'm feeling something here. How do I, you know, feel called to respond? Yeah. Yeah, and I think underneath all of this is the basic fundamental understanding that animals are God's beloved as well, yeah. that, that, that all of creation is, has value. It's not just us humans, and it's not like God just put these animals just to entertain us or to you know, just go be out there hopping around. They have their own purpose. They have their own reason to be. They have their own personalities. They have their own family. And so why wouldn't we honor it in every way we could? Yeah, there's so many beautiful verses. You know, I have a Christian heritage. So, uh, you know, a lot of those early messages that I received were, you know, animals praise God. Mm. You know, praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise him all creatures here, here below. below. And I would yeah. sing that in my little dress at age six. Yeah. Praise him all creatures, not all people. Right. All creatures. All creatures. Right. So, you know, we find it, we find it throughout the Psalms, other uh, beautiful, beautiful Psalms. We find, you know, we find a lot of Jesus's care for animals and we can look at his temple tantrum. I, I go into that in the book a little bit, <laughs> I love that, you yeah. know, about not having anything to do with money changers, having to do with like an early version of a lot of slaughter of animals for some kind of odd reasons. And, you know, he was freeing 
that whole process. It wasn't mm-hmm. just about changing money. And then we look in, you know, if we look at the other, you know, we look at um, Zoroastrianism or Buddhism or, or the traditions we collectively call Hinduism. We find all these different kind of calls to be uh, entangled, intertwined with the rest of creation. That, that's why the word nature kind of drives me nuts sometimes when mm-hmm. people say like, Something my church is, of us. <laughs> yeah, my church is nature or my spiritual practice is nature. And I say, well, that's great. And can you be a little more specific when you're out, you know, meditating in nature, who did you see? Did you see a woodpecker? Did you see a red squirrel? Like, oh, right, right. Who? There's a who in yeah. something that we usually see as a thing yeah. or an environment. So can we can we really start to see all of that that provides that luscious feeling that we feel when we go hiking? It, it's it's not just trees and and plants. It's it's also everybody scurrying around and keeping that ecosystem going. Right, and that would be a spiritual practice, I think, just being aware of all the who that's out there in our world. There is. There's there's a fabulous, there's a couple of different wonderful apps now on your phone. There's one from Cornell called BirdNet, Bird N-E-T, and it's a Shazam for birds. So you could just walk out in your yard and you press the app and it tells you who that bird call is. Oh, that's it tells cool. you all about them. It's so cool. So you could be like, hello, such and such. Hello, who, you know, whoever it is who's in your yard. Cause I'm really bad at like looking at a bird, looking at a book and trying to figure out like, you know, what species are you? But we have all these wonderful apps to help us identify and, and put more uniqueness and finality. Well, yeah. And even, even identifying the species is kind of, it's, as you said, that it's like, that's cool to know what species it is. And yet there's also a being underneath that species. Right, right. Yeah, so go so. one level further. <laughs> right, right. Right. And how do you and and how do you do that? I don't know. We so I've been I've become very interested in conservation uh recently and been taking a couple courses. And you know, what are the different ethical quandaries we come up with when we're trying to help a species? And what are it and and is it about the survival of the species? Or are we concerned about what we might be doing to individuals within that species in order to conserve them? And, you know, it just gets messy so, so fast about, you know, what, what are we trying to, what are we trying to do when humans try to help? And I think that's a great, a great area of inquiry too, that we can each do and learn more about the different beings who live around us and what challenges are they facing? I live on a road where, uh, there's increased mining that's happening now, and there's a turtle here, the Blandings turtle, or a group of turtles who are endangered and, you know, trying to advocate for them. And how can we just learn more if we can learn more and bring those into our spiritual practice? That's kind of the foundation for what I call interspecies spirituality is how do we bring other concerns into our spirituality? How do we meditate next to them? How do we think about them? How do we bring them into our prayers you know, how, how do we make this not just about humans and God? Right. Yeah. Um, the, so do you want to talk about some of those spiritual practices? Sure. Well, I guess that leads us to Compassion Consortium. Yeah. Okay. Okay. <laughs> yeah. So um, I had I had a student uh, who was really, really interested in some of these things and, and, and wanted to form a community around it and said, you know, d- should we? Should we form a church-ish? And, uh, and I was like, oh, wow, okay. And so we did. 
And about a year ago, uh, we formed a nonprofit. It's called Compassion Consortium. The website's compassionconsortium.org. And we've been meeting about a year. We're meeting on Zoom because we're still in pandemic time and because we've got folks from all over the world. Uh, and we get together and we, you know, we have some normal parts of liturgy, like we'll listen to a, a particular song of compassion. I do a sermon-ish, or we may do prayers and blessings. But one part in this in the service that we do is an interspecies practice. And so we send one of our co-founders, uh, Reverend Erica, out to various animal sanctuaries or wild areas near her to kind of video these practices and do things. And then we all you know, do them again as a community. So we've, we've done chanting with sheep. We've done Qigong with goats. Um, <laughs> we've got something coming up with city pigeons, uh, all these different ways of, you know, how can we think about and include these animals? One, one of the areas I've been so interested in is, you know, do animals have spiritual lives? And if so, can we connect with them on that level? Uh, you know, connect with them. And there's some kind of interesting research telling us that the place in our brains that uh, where spiritual uh, experiences light up or mystical experiences light up our brain, that other animals have those same brain structures. So cats and dogs and horses and uh, all sorts of, you know, monkeys and apes are perfectly capable of having these spiritual experiences or mindfulness or, you know, whatever word we want to put around a a wordless experience yeah. <laughs> uh, that they might have that. So we're exploring it. We're exploring it at the consortium. If this sounds like something interesting to anyone listening uh, and Carol's uh, uh, divulging, we ask Carol to be on our advisory board so she can be involved in this too. And if you all would like to come and, and learn more about this, uh, please do, or come to the retreat that, that we're doing, uh, helping out uh, Carol in, what are we in October? Halloween yeah, weekend, it's October October twenty eighth through the thirty first, and it, it's a retreat that that's going to cover the the gamut. Where you don't have to be vegan or vegetarian. We're inviting. We actually we have a discount for first time attending omnivores, um, and then we have uh, Jean Bauer, who's the president and um, founder of Farm Sanctuary, as our keynote. But this is our second year, and it, it's just an opportunity to come together with other spiritual people who appreciate animals, the world, understand the interconnectedness, and want to learn more and share more and co-create a world that works for all beings, not just us humans, uh, co-create a world that works for all on the planet. And we have, we'll have workshops, we'll have retreat time, we'll have um, movie time, and a lot of collaboration and connection and fun and spiritual practice and everyone should come. <laughs> it was, it was so rich last year, the first one, it was so rich because you know, I think many of us have had this experience of trying to talk about some of these issues, perhaps, you know, where we work or in our religious community or in our family and, you know, raising some of these questions and we may get that. Okay. I don't want to go there you know, from the people we're talking to, or it may get minimized, or, you know, people may start using that woo-woo word. I can't stand yeah. that when people say that. To me. <laughs> um, and, you know, but, the, you know, it, 
it to be able to be in a community with folks who are like, yeah, let's let's take this serious because it has to do with climate change and it has to do with environmental racism and it has to do with all these other like heavy, heavy things too. But let's let's approach them in a curious way and with lightheartedness and fun and conversation and joy and you know, see if we can um, kind of sort this mess together instead of you having to do it alone. That's what I really appreciated about it because it can feel a little lonely. It can feel lonely, especially if you're in a spiritual, well, I shouldn't mm-hmm. say especially, if you're in a spiritual community, it can feel lonely. The, the value, the spiritual values that all the traditions have, you know, compassion, universal love, peace, um, loving kindness, all of these things that are talked about in a service or um, any kind of gathering of a faith tradition, it doesn't always translate to all beings on the planet. And 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 I think it's I think it's a real wound in humanity. I think that we're all conditioned. I don't think any one of us as a baby comes onto the planet separating the animals out from the humans. You know, every child moves towards an animal. They they move towards the bunny rabbit or the little chick or the kitten or the dog. They're very interested in connecting with that other being. And then we're 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 conditioned that, you know, some animals that's okay with and others are not. You know, some are for entertainment, some are for food, some are for, and then, and then we start. I, I think it's a real wound in humanity that we are really living in discord to the natural spiritual values of compassion and loving kindness and connection and peace, and that we were trained to do it, and so we we're kind of split off. There's a part of us that's split off um, that needs to be healed because. It's just something that we swallowed as children. We all did. And it's been going on for eons. Oh, yeah. And, and we were socialized to it. And, mm-hmm. it not, and not because people wanted to do us harm, but because they had been socialized right. to it. No, it's- and their <laughs> parents had been socialized to it. And right. you know, it's this web of, and when you start to untangle it, or, you know, it's, it's like a, it's like a big hairball, right? <laughs> you got to yeah. start, start untangling it. And, you know, looking at, it, with each generation that it has gone on, we've also had since the industrial revolution, this kind of look at, at productivity and efficiency and systems and, and the ways that we are treating other beings have exponentially gotten, gotten worse, gotten mm-hmm. out of control. And I think that that has made it even harder uh, for some people to say, hey, I want to I dig in and look at that. It's just easier to just let it go on. But there's, I was feeling, I remember I always kind of felt like a little thud in my heart different times. Like I'd be taken to the zoo or the circus or, you know, or the pet store. There was just a little somewhere I was like, this just, this just isn't, I don't know. I got kicked out of, I remember I was 16. I was at a youth retreat, you know, with a couple thousand, I don't know why they put a couple thousand Christian teens together at a college, you know, and call, it a, <laughs> call it a conference. You're just going to have trouble. Um, and, you know, and I was trouble and I had gone out on the free time to a pet store and they had had all these little mice that were in a cage oh, yeah. and then and 99 cents, right? 99 cents each. And I was like, oh, look, we can get some mice. And then the, you know, the guy who runs pet store says, oh, those are fe- feeding the snake. Yeah. And I remember being like, oh, so, you know, I had like two bucks because I was 16. So I bought one mouse and I stuck him in my pocket in my little red flannel punk rocker shirt. And I went back to the retreat and, you know, some of the girls in front of me who didn't look like me, 
uh, got got a little upset and turned me in for the alleged crime of bringing a rodent to oh, church. Oh gosh, yeah. And you know, and in hindsight, I mean, it's a funny story to tell. And you know, I I brought out all my you know all creatures praise God, and here's you know look at this and look at that. And, you know, I did my exegesis and. And they just were like, oh, dear God. And they, you know, they gave me a box, put the mouse in. They called my dad and said, you know, get, get her straightened out before you send her back here. But, at the, you know, early at that age, this kind of like something's something's going on. And I feel now out in the wild, snakes are going to eat mice. Sure. Right. But the system that we've created to make that happen in pet stores and everything that goes into that, once you start looking at that, you're like, oh, okay, now I have some questions. Right. Now I have, now I have some questions about this. So I, I think I'm hoping that's what I do in the book is, you know, it's, it's not a, it's not a judgmental type of thing. It's not a um, throw in a bunch of kind of shocking statistics to upset people kind of thing. It's a real gentle opening to, wow, look at how inconsistent we are and where might we want to personally make some changes and where might we want to get involved, you know, in our communities or, you know, on a larger level in organizations to, to see if we can kind of cut down on some of the suffering because there's just so much of it. There's so much suffering. Yeah. There's so much suffering. And, and it's, it's one thing that we can do. Like we can't necessarily stop. Well, we, 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 we can't necessarily stop a war that's going on across the ocean, but we can stop harming creatures in our circle. That's that's one thing we can do to bring the violence on the planet down a notch. And it affects all of consciousness. And I completely agree with you, Sarah. I think your book is very gentle. And it, it really does probe at the heart and the mind, the brain, and asking these questions or getting people to ask questions themselves. And I think about things like... <laughs> I, I don't know. There were some things I was really aware of when it came to animals when I was younger. Others I wasn't. And it, it's kind of embarrassing. But I, I think about the times I went to the circus and I didn't think about it, you know? I mean, I didn't I didn't think about it. And no, and then I have some it's supposed to be fun. I know. You're supposed, supposed to get to the be... cotton candy and the little toy. Yeah. And we took our yeah. daughters to the circus. And it's like, yeah. I, I look back and I go, how did I ever do that? What did I do? Why didn't I see it? And and and, and I, I have to say, you, I suffer a little shame. And then I have to love myself, you know, because it's not something I overtly harmed anybody. I just, I'm a, a little embarrassed that I couldn't see what I couldn't see. But I know all of the spiritual path is about awaking from things that you can't see. Yeah. It, it is. And I think you've, you've hit a really important thing there, Carol. And I think a reason why we don't ask questions and why sometimes we don't want to dig in is, is we know there may be kind of shame or regret or something on the other side of that. And what I'm hoping is that, is that we don't do that. Now I'm a 12 stepper, right? So I'm, I'm coming from a, a 12 step kind of mentality of, of what we want to do is just amend. It's mm -hmm. not about going back in the past and beating ourselves up. It's saying, okay, Here's, here's how I was conditioned to live. Here's what I did. And now what do I want to do going forward? So, you know, if I learn circuses aren't great for animals, okay, how about we go to Cirque du Soleil instead for fun with my kids? Or uh -huh. if I learn uh, that this is what happens in labs, you know, making such and such shampoo, maybe I want to buy cruelty-free shampoo, right? It's not about 
that shame. And, and I think that's part of the sacred send off too. part of the honoring of, you know, being able to say that there's one exercise I take people through where you're being able to say like, I deeply regret some of these things that, you know, I'm aware of, but I don't really want to talk about. And geez, I'm sorry. I did not know better. And, and now I did. And now I do. And I'm going to do this. And I'm, I may not be perfect. I may not be perfect at it. And I may, you know, I may just go with my instincts and my drives and my habits and my cravings some days. And then I'll just kind of get myself right back on the path. It's like, you know, it's like anything we do on the spiritual journey. Like, oh, I meditated for 20 days in a row. And then, uh oh. <laughs> <laughs> Oh boy, you know, and then you know, and then it's a year later, and you're like, God, I've got that cushion over there. Maybe I should get my butt back on it. So I, I do think that any of these things, we've we've got to be gentle, and we've got to just approach it from this way of, I just want to live in right relationship to pick up those Buddhists. I want to live in right relationship with all the other beings around me and with myself. Yeah. Well, there's a real balance though, because I think. There's there's the tendency of averting the eyes. I don't want to look. Yeah. And then if I do look, then I feel the shame. So it's really about looking, feeling, acknowledging, and releasing. Yeah. You're absolutely right. And also how much do we look? Mm -hmm. That's another interesting piece. Um, I know that this is going on for me right now with the war in Ukraine. And with what was happening with the animals in the zoo there. And I was watching it blow by blow by blow as it happened. And, and I got to a certain point where I said, you know, I am reducing my capacity to be able to function right now watching this. I'm so heartbroken. Um, I'm going to, you know, send my money off to the folks who can help do something on the ground over there. And I need to go pet my cat. <laughs> mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Right. My, re my resilience, my capacity, you know, there is such a thing as compassion fatigue. It is real. There is such a thing as secondary traumatic stress, vicarious trauma, moral injury, all those kind of things. And so it, when, when we're talking about animals or humans or the earth or anything or a river or, you know, whatever. So being able to have spiritual practice, being able to have people to talk to, being able to have a support network. And knowing how much, how much to look at, how much can I handle? Mm -hmm. Yeah, mm -hmm. and 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 being aware when, being aware when you need to turn away, but also being aware when you're avoiding. Ah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, and I and I think that that's a that is the, that's the line to find. Mm -hmm. That's a blurry line. That's a moving mm -hmm. line. Depends on the day. I have a. a mother who's been having a lot of um, mental health challenges and aging challenges and moving into assisted living. And that has taken uh, a lot of, of my mind share as well. And being aware of multiple fronts where, you know, we may be having a lot of pressure or stress and, you know, how do we, how do we not avoid, but how do we make sure that we don't end up flat on the floor, a bubbling mess? <laughs> because <laughs> It's possible. It's possible. And I think that's, Carol, I think that's where community comes in. That's oh, where yes. accountability to others and being able to say, hey, you know, I, I need a little help. I need a, a little help here. And and then someone else can take up the reins and do the advocacy for a little while while you rest. Yeah. And then when they get burnt out, then you can pick them right back up, right, from somebody else. This is, 
this is bigger than a one person solve. Yeah. 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 I mean, awareness comes with a burden, doesn't it? <laughs> it comes, yeah, it comes with both sides. Let's go Taoist, yeah. right? Yeah. <laughs> it it comes, it comes with the I don't know, there there's heartbreak and there's joy and there and there are two sides of a coin. And yeah. you know, in some ways. So, you know, how do how do we take that to and how do we be kind of lighthearted about ourselves too and and not take ourselves so seriously sometimes too and say, you know, I'm going to slip up, but I'm doing the best I can. Yeah. And the more we're aware, uh, the more whole we are. I mean, we, we're, we carry ourselves in a new way because we're not, you know, as broken a person, we're more whole. So all of this is really good work to, to look yeah. at all of it. Yeah. And that's, and that's got, and that's why back to interspecies kind of spirituality, um, those of us who are involved in the advocacy for the suffering must, must be involved in the joy of interspecies living too. We mm. must have the other side of the coin. We must not focus on, and, and, and it can be hard not to when our hearts are broken, but we have got to go out and meditate with squirrels. We have got to go out and sit around butterflies. We have got to go to uh, animal sanctuaries and, and spend time, you know, joyously spending time with other beings there. We've got to be involved in the joyous side of this too and enjoying the relationship, the human animal bond. Yeah. I mean, watching farm animals that are free are, is so fun. It's so fun to watch the little goats and the little lambs and the, the cows. They're just amazing. They're get, getting up close in person and you know, putting your arms around their necks and feeling their hearts. And there's something that's... Um, Ah, oh, it just feels so good. It's very, it's very healing, I think. And it's so much better for our kids than the zoo. <laughs> I know. I know the zoo's the it other is. thing I go, oh my yeah. gosh, zoos. <laughs> you know, that's that's another that's another area of you know deep interest for me too. And and I I go into this in the in the book a little bit too, in the you know, not quite wildlife section. Yes. Yes. With, you know, we there's a, a guy named Trip York who wrote a book. He, he went and worked. He was a, a pastor or a theologian of some sort, went to work in a zoo for a couple of years because he had a lot of these questions too. And he says, you know, the question is not, are we going to manage animals? We're already managing animals. The question is, how are we going to manage animals? And the, the quandaries that arise in national parks uh, when there's not enough resources and when do you get involved and when do you not? And, you know, when you have zoos that are doing you know, educational work rather than, you know, the roadside zoo, this gets really messy very, very, very quickly. And it's, it's easy to moralize and say, this is bad. That is good. Um, but the <laughs> world is so much more complex. So the more we can learn about what we're supporting with our time, what we're supporting with our money, what we vote for, a lot of facilities are paid for with our tax dollars. Mm -hmm. You know, if we want to keep national parks and wildlife areas going, we need to put our put our votes where our where our values are and things like that. So, yeah, I, I think that's kind of fascinating that the animals that are are wild, but we're still kind of doing something. Well, yeah, there's a lot of it. <laughs> uh huh. <laughs> there's a lot of it. Yeah, and I I do think that some of that will go away in time as it really just depends upon where we go as a species. But, you know, a lot of this um, uh, ex virtual experience stuff that you can, ex you could probably experience being out on the savanna or <laughs> out in the, yeah. the plains of Africa and, and watching the animals 
virtually yep. you augmented know. reality. Right. Yeah. Right. There, there was a fascinating report that was done uh, this spring about the wellness benefits of watching bear cams. So they set up some bear cams and then they, you know, went to people and said, okay, watch this a certain amount, you know, amount of minutes at work or when you're stressed or this kind of thing. And they found all these amazing wellness benefits of people like lower blood pressure, lower stress. They found that people also, if we want to look at this from an accessibility standpoint, people who can't afford to go out to the Savannah, which is many of us, um, (laughs) or people who uh, might have mobility challenges and can't get into, you know, hiking in a forest. Are there ways to bring these relationships in to other people, make them more accessible to people of different um, income levels and different uh, ability levels? I think that's kind of fascinating. Of course, I have, you know, I, I'm always poking. So I'm like, well, what about the privacy rights of the bears? You know, so that's kind of, <laughs> that's kind of the flip side of like, if you put a video camera outside my house and had people watch it to lower their blood pressure, like <laughs> we'd be like, no, not okay, humans. We seem to be okay for the, you know, so this is another one of those kind of messy. That's a good point. <laughs> right? You know, what is the, you know, what about pets on Instagram? I don't know, folks. You know, do they all want to be wearing, do all the Dogs want to be wearing glasses, sitting at computers. I have no idea. Uh, but I think you know what that what that points out is once we do start to look at it, once we you know start to kind of laugh as we question ourselves too, that we can enter into these questions and enter into this work in a way that won't overwhelm us. Um, but you know, gives us a lot to think about. Yeah, there's a lot to think about. There's a lot to think about. Um, what else do you want to talk about in your book? I, I love the way you handled everything, the not quite wild. I love the way you handled the farm and the corporate animals and um, your whole struggle. I mean, I'm sorry, not struggle. I was just looking at this page. It says why we struggle. Um, your whole awakening about your grandfather's farm. And so I'll, I'll just give you the floor. What do you want to talk about? What else? We yeah, you know, I think, I think we have... We tend to have more and more awareness now about farmed animals. I think that the topic of, you know, quote unquote, factory farming, and some people like that term, some people don't like that term, mm-hmm. um, you know, has, has uh, there's a number of young people too, who've just been really noisy about this issue that I just love to watch, you know, that they're just, just talking about it. And I think that we're starting to get more awareness about, you know, 99.9% of chicken, you know, doesn't come mm-hmm. from you know, free living chicken running around. And, um, you know, it's like 90% of most different mm-hmm. kind of animals that are turned into products. And can we, you know, can we go look, okay, I'm a junk food eater. I'm going to admit it. So, you know, I'm a big buyer of beyond burgers and impossible burgers and all those kind of things. But, you know, I, I think we have some more awareness there. What I don't think we have as much awareness about are corporate animals that are being used in research and development. Mm-hmm. The number of animals who are being um, bred with, um, uh, you know, deformities or bred to have diseases so that they can be tested on painful, painful diseases, uh, all of that kind of stuff. That That's kind of where my awakening is happening now of just how deep that goes and just how really hidden that is. Um, how many just billions of animals are stuck in these systems and and the stress on the humans working in those systems 
And there have been a lot of people that have come out lately and said, you know, animal models, that's what we call it, you know, test on animals first before you test on humans, that animal models are really inefficient, that they aren't, um, they aren't terribly reliable, and that computer modeling has become, in a lot of cases, even better than subjecting animals to all of these things. So that's an area to, you know, kind of learn a little bit about, you know, if you're um, you know, if you take different medications or you use different products in your house, just understanding the cost sometime that those come at and whether there's alternatives uh, that might have less suffering if, if you ask about them. I, mm-hmm. I, I think that would, that's, that's what I'd kind of put up there because some of the things that are happening in, in R and D are just, yeah. It's yeah. also that's one the of word those I things. have for it. Yeah. <laughs> we should have done a video. I knew it. <laughs> <laughs> no one will see that set that grimace the same way. Um, well, I, I don't have words for it, right? Right. It, right. It's, it's it's heartbreaking and it's horrific, and and I don't have the words for. I don't have the words for it beyond, um, you know, kind of witnessing and becoming aware of and changing the stuff I buy, for sure. Yeah, and I think that the industry itself is stuck. It, it's it's stuck in we've always done this, so yeah. we need to keep always doing this. And yeah. I think you know anybody who raises their hand and says, "Hey, maybe we shouldn't do it this time," I'm sure they're not really a popular person. So it's it's again another one of those examples of what we've done for years and years and years and years because we've always done it for years and years and years and years. And this is the kind of um, I don't want to say argument, but I guess it is an argument. Whenever somebody says something like uh, they're against artificial meat, you know, they synthetic meat, why are they doing that? It's like, well, okay, do you know what you're actually eating? <laughs> you know, they there's some sense of I have the right to eat meat, and okay, that's only because you've been trained that way. You know, you've been trained that way for since a child, and your parents were trained that way, and they were trained and it's all the same, whether it's the it's food or the circus or the zoo or animal testing. It's something that just we've always done. And how we're, it's like a Titanic, you know, how you turn that ship. You yeah. Know? How do you turn something so big? And I think in medical, it's most insidious because yeah. I, I had been having an interview a little while ago with a, a woman I was going to do a program with. And I was telling her I was interested in, you know, animal theology and animal welfare. And where do these things intersect? And she said, did you hear that they saved a man's life with a pig heart. Isn't oh. that amazing? Yeah. And I and I took a deep breath and yeah. I said, it is amazing. It's absolutely amazing we can do that. And at the same time, here's my concern. Does that mean that we have, you know, big buildings, windowless buildings full of pigs waiting to become, you know, medical facilities or medical parts? And should we perhaps be working more on you know, 3D ways of printing new body parts that we need with better materials. You know, I'm just not sure is that is that what a pig is for? And she stopped and she said, wow, I never thought about that. And I said, I know mm-hmm. we don't. Then two weeks later, I had an issue with my heart and I found myself in the emergency room. And, you know, I'm fine. I'm fine now, um, but they were raising a lot of questions and I was having a really, really low dark night of the soul. 
And, you know, they were throwing out different, very scary words. And, and all of a sudden I thought, all right, if this comes to me needing a pig heart, what do I do? And it was, it went from being theoretical to being personal. And so I understand what, and it becomes, you know, when it becomes life or death, that the conversation changes and it's harder than it is of, you know, Hey, can I go get a vegan face cream? (laughs) You Mm -hmm. know, like that's easy. That's easy. Right. That's Mm -hmm. super easy. And so I think that, you know, the, the physicians committee for responsible medicine, I love the work they're doing and some other folks who are saying, you know, we really need to, um, to find different ways of solving, solving human health problems so that we're not putting animals in this situation. And we're not putting ourselves in these ethical quandaries, you know, just the, the heartbreak of trying to make that decision needs to accompany the story on, isn't it amazing? Yeah. It needs to be a part of that conversation of, yeah, amazing. Go science. And is that really where we should be going? <laughs> can we can we go in another path? And and that's a tough, that's a tough question, but that's that's another kind of area to look at because it's pretty easy to, to switch zoos or entertainment or those things. I feel like we could steer those ships a little better than the ship when it comes to, you know, possibly comes to your own life. Yeah, I completely get that. And there's so many things we can do to make our bodies more healthy <laughs> so that we don't even get to this place. To prevent it. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So for example, Sarah needs to drink less caffeine and during the day and take less melatonin at night. There you, you go. Know, so it's so at a baby aspirin, <laughs> which I believe comes from the bark of trees. There you so go. Yes. now I have to apologize to trees for taking their bark, but that's a whole nother episode. Uh, so, you know, there, there are that you know, when we can take care of ourselves and take care of our homes and take care of habitats. And, and I think that if we take this back into spirituality, because, you know, we've veered a bit into science and mm-hmm. ethics and theoethics, um, you know, that that is part of this journey. It has to be. It's not just about getting zenned out and blissed out. It's got to be about how do I relate to the rest of, you know, creation, the rest of, of life or that road back to Eden, Carol, yes. that you keep talking yeah. about, you know, how do how do we do, how do we include that as my spiritual, my, even the way we say that my spiritual journey, my spiritual path. Um, it's not a me, it's gotta be a we and the widest, widest possible version of we. Yeah. Bringing heaven to earth, <laughs> yeah. um, being on the road to Eden. And I, 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 I named the retreat that because um, regardless of your faith tradition, I just look at Eden as whether it's figurative or literal, whether it's historical or a story, it still tells the story of the ideal, you know, that we can live together with all beings. We can be whole people, we can be healthy people, and all beings can have their own purpose and we can all live together. And that's the story that's told. And I think the story that's told in the creation story is because it's something that's in our heart or our our deep heritage or something in our psyche. And uh, whether it's true or not, or it ever existed or not, it's like, what a great thing. (laughs) It is. And, you know, I'm a sci-fi nut. Like I love Star Wars and Star Trek and Firefly and all these things. And what's fascinating to me is if you look at a lot of our modern technology or postmodern, I guess, technology, all of the inventions we have now, 
they were early on in those shows, you know, doors that opened when you waved Mm -hmm. or we have those now, right? We've got hoverboards now. We've got, you know, food, we've got 3D printers. We've got all those things. So what's fascinating is that a lot of the um, kids who watch science fiction and got up and got jobs and went and worked in technology firms built those things that had been imagined. Yeah, so exactly. It starts with the imagination. It starts with, so so the same idea, if, if our texts and many of our texts talk about a golden age or talk about a creation or whatever, you know, whatever it is, whatever words, well, so we read it, let's create it. Yeah. Like yeah, hoverboards it's, and flying cars. Let's yeah, do it's, it. It's our, it's the, one of the spiritual gifts, imagination and the, the ability yeah. to, to make anything in this world actually real starts with your ability to picture it, your willingness to picture it, I should say. And yeah. so when we find ourselves delving into doom and gloom or ain't it awful or this is bad or this sucks or, oh, my gosh, the war, or, oh, the animals or oh, the people, it, like you said, we have, we have to come back to this joy and, and at least activate within ourselves our willingness to imagine the world we want to live in. Because yeah. we're not going to create it while we're stuck in the muck. That's just this, this place where we're stuck. You, nothing creative happens there. You, if we want to get out of it, we've got to imagine this world. We have to imagine heaven on earth. We have to imagine Eden. We have to imagine a world where we're not doing medical tests on animals and treating them in a horrific way. Um, we have to imagine that we're not taking the body parts of animals to, to fix us, that we're actually whole already. And and what can we do to... To, to get there and but it starts with it starts with the it starts with that gift of imagination yeah, our ability it to does. picture yeah it does you know and I, you just struck something to me I mean I, I I think about you know I can't remember what I was thinking as a six year old with my little chipmunks in my lunchbox but you know I've set in motion something that I didn't know what it was going to become yes I don't think I had any idea I was uh, going back to twelve step language I was acting as if. Yeah. You know, I was acting as my, as my preacher daddy did for these little beings. And I was, you know, I was doing something that I felt called to do from the heart. And, and then it, well, <laughs> and, you know, the next thing, you know, you're talking about it on podcasts and hoping, you know, people are like, oh, there goes Sarah again with her lunchbox and her chipmunks. But, you know, <laughs> we, we do where, where we put our thoughts and where we put our actions is where our feet go and, you know, what we keep doing. So, you know, being able to hold hold the beautiful vision without bypassing the ick and, you know, and being able to bring that ick into alignment with the glittery rainbowy, beautiful stardust stuff, you know, <laughs> that that's, that's what I want to do. Right. Isn't that the defining a uh, job description of clergy? Yes. I don't know. Maybe, maybe it is in my definition, yeah. but you know, how do we, how do we pull up, you know, pull up that ick, you know, think about after the flood, you know, if we look at Jewish and Christian narratives and well, and Mesopotamian narratives, but you know, you got this flood and it's just awful and everything's gone and there's no food. And, right. And, you know, and, and so some horrible things start happening, but some beautiful things start happening. You know, we, we've, we've been through tough times as, as a species and we will continue to go through tough times, but we each do our part to, to try to pull up out of that. See the rainbow. See the rainbow. And, 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 to integrate your interest in Star Wars, you know that you know that the rebellion <laughs> had a vision. <laughs> well, and and that's another, you know, when you think about when you think about Star Trek and Star Wars, a lot of those stories were about how do we deal with other species we meet. Right. 
most of those species were bipedal. They, you know, they had two legs, but that was so much talking about how do we deal with people that don't look like us or talk yeah. like us or eat different food Think and like us, yeah. you know, now, now that we've got our, our millionaires and our billionaires jutting off into space, there's a whole nother set of questions they have found. Well, those guys haven't, but scientists believe that there is life on Pluto that they have found in an underground uh, ocean. So there's a whole bunch of other ethical questions. I think that our kids, kids, kids are going to be asking about, you know, what do we do when we go to other planets that have life? Right. What does that look like? So I don't know, folks, you know, that's what we've been, we've popped up a whole lot of seemingly random things today, but you know, they all come back to how do, how do we be compassionate, peace-loving, joy-filled, loving people, assuming that's what we want to be. Right. Well, anyone who's on the spiritual path, that's, that's, it's got to be a part of that for sure. That's got to be a part of that. So um, anything else you want to say before we wrap up? You know, if anyone, if this, this topic is interesting, and if you want to learn more about animal chaplaincy too, uh, we have a training program at Compassion Consortium that's starting in the fall uh, that has a three-month and a six-month and a nine-month track. And CompassionConsortium.org slash training has information about that. If you want to figure out, you know, how can I companion animals uh, through life and through death? How can I help people with uh, bereavement and grief around loss of cats and dogs and turtles and cows and <laughs> whoever they're living with. Uh, if you feel called to what Carol and I have been talking about today, check that out because we'd love to have you part of that training program. Yeah, I love the idea of this being a vocation, you know, like a, a new a new vocation popping up. Uh, because my original thought is that the animal chaplains are part of a church or part of a, a worship center. And I think that's beautiful. I think every worship center having an animal chaplain would be beautiful. But, you know, you, you ought to be able to put up your own uh, your own little sign, animal chaplain. <laughs> well, and, and, you know, because we have chaplains in universities. We right. have corporate chaplains. We have cruise ship chaplains. We have eco chaplains in national right. parks. One of the interesting kind of departing statistics here. Um, according to one survey, uh, which was done in the UK, veterinarians there have the highest rate of suicide of any profession. Hmm. So what is what veterinarians and animal care providers are holding and need to uh, need to be supported in is often outside of religious and spiritual communities and very much within the scientific community. And so I'm hoping that animal chaplaincy will also be this bridge between science and spirituality of being able to kind of see where those intersect in the lives of animals. So, you know, supporting vets and vet techs and, and people who uh, run animal sanctuaries as well as very, very, very needed. So we need extra people. If you feel called to it, we'd love to have you. I love that. And I'm thinking maybe former uh, factory industrial farm workers or, you know, yeah. Yeah. anybody, people in these labs who've decided they don't want to do this anymore. Yeah. 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 And may not be part. And, and, and a lot of, a lot of people who are involved deeply 
uh, in that work may not be part of a, a church or a spiritual right. community, right? right? Where they're getting that kind of support. And that's a whole, we could do a whole nother episode on compassion fatigue of people who work in um, industries that create animals into to products too. Right. You know, there's a whole area of research and trauma that's happening there too. And high suicide rates for farmers and, you know, so some other time. Yeah, we'll do that again another time. <laughs> and we'll cover some of it at the retreat as well. Okay, Sarah, thank you so much for being with me. And I have to really recommend this book. It's it's published now, right? It's out there? It is. It's available in bookstores and uh, anywhere online that you get books. And it's called Sacred Sendoffs, an Animal Chaplain's Advice for Surviving Animal Loss, Making Life Meaningful, and Healing the Planet. Thank you, and they Sarah. can go to yeah, they can go to sacredsendoffs.com as well if you want to try some meditations with animals or get some other tips. We've got some stuff there on the site as well. So great. And I'll, on the too. podcast page, I'll have links to all of the things that Beautiful. You, you mentioned. Thank yeah. you, Carol, so much. It's so nice to see you and your cat. I know. And uh, <laughs> George, who came in, George, who came in for just a George, moment. George, I think Thank there you. might be some purring on this. <laughs> He's very loud. Thank you to anyone who was listening today and took the time to, you know, kind of mull over these concepts with us. Yeah. And start questioning. Keep questioning everything. Open your mind. Open your heart. Yes. Thank you, Sarah. And I now close the spiritual forum. Thank you for listening. If you want to learn more about us, check out thespiritualforum.org. The Spiritual Forum is affiliated with Unity Worldwide Ministries. We're a nonprofit corporation and depend solely on donations from people like you. If you find that you're benefiting from your listening, we encourage you to donate on our website, thespiritualforum.org. Our music is by Matt Nelson. Sound engineering is by Mark Jaschelski.